right, you guys can go ahead and take a seat. You can go ahead and take a seat and turn your attention to a special video for on the screen. What's up, Salt Company? Tyler here. Um, for those of you that know me, I'm a student leader, uh, currently over in Austria for the semester and definitely missing out on you guys, but zooming in tonight to uh, show or read a little bit of scripture and pray before um, we hop into Salt tonight. So if you guys want to flip to Mark, we're going to be in chapter three. So I'm going to start off at Mark chapter three, verse 13. All right. Afterward, Jesus went on, up on a mountain and called out to the ones he wanted to go with him, and they came to him. Then he appointed 12 of them and called them his apostles. They were to accompany him, and he would send them out to preach, giving them authority to cast out demons. These are the 12 he chose, Simon, whom he named Peter, James and John, the sons of Zebedee, but Jesus nicknamed them sons of thunder, Andrew, Philip. Bartholomew, Matthew, Thomas, James, son of Alphaeus, Thaddeus, Simon, the zealot, Judas Iscariot, who later betrayed him. One time, Jesus entered a house, and the crowds began to gather again. Soon, he and his disciples couldn't even find time to eat. All right, that's it. Um, but <laughs> Rudy's going to explain some of that on soon enough. So I'm just going to pray for it before you guys hop in. Um, dear Lord, thank you for um, people gathered here tonight. Thank you for the city of Madison. Thank you for uh, the internet connecting us. I just pray that these verses in Mark tonight, um, Rudy's able to just preach on them and just give us some wisdom into what they mean for us. That Lord, your, uh, your wisdom is amazing and it's awesome to check in and see uh, what you're just trying to teach us um, through the life of Jesus. I pray that as we go on through the night, that um, as connection groups meet, that we're able to just talk and able to just <laughs> be together in community. Yeah, I pray before spring break that everybody has safe travels wherever they're going and back. Uh, yeah, Lord, I just pray that this uh, this word is just as good as it always is because it's always amazing. Pray that we'd reflect on it through our days to come. In your name, amen. All right, people, that's all. Back to you, Rudy. That's so good, man. I, Tyler is so cool. Um, you guys, if you know Tyler, you love him. If you don't, you would. Uh, so if you do know him uh, and you haven't talked to him in a minute, just shoot him a text sometime tonight. Like, it'll be an ungodly hour where he is, which will be awesome. So just shoot him a text. It'll be really, really sweet. I love what he said. I pray that the word tonight would be as good as it always is. What a good just like. That's worth an amen. That's just strong. Um, all right, so this is a deep cut. We're doing a little bit of a different, like, night tonight, right? So I just want to start off with a deep cut. Um, has anybody – I might be, like, aging myself out. I asked the band, but, like, ah, I don't know. Um, has anybody here ever watched the movie The Princess Bride? Seriously? Okay, like that – anybody? No, I'm not going to have you, like, out yourself if you haven't. All right. All right. So then you'll, you'll know this moment that I'm talking about then, all right? So there's a moment in this movie where Inigo Montoya, you know, my, my name is Inigo Montoya. You kill my father, prepare to die. Like that, well, okay. Um, 
he looks at one of the goofy, like, bald, bad dudes, right? And he looks at him, and this goofy, like, bad, bald dude, I don't even remember his name, it doesn't matter, but, like, he, he, um, he keeps saying, like, he keeps saying inconceivable, you know what I'm talking about? He keeps being, like, inconceivable, and it's at times when it's, like, kind of weird for him to be saying inconceivable, it's just, like, something that he is saying, and there's this moment when Inigo Montoya looks at him and he says, Hey, that word that you keep on saying, I do not think it means what you think it means. <laughs> and and I, I love that moment in the movie. It's just a total smackdown on this, like, short, bald, thick boy. Um, and it's like, it's, he just doesn't know what he's doing. Um, and if we're honest, like, we've all probably had, like, moments like that too, right? Like, where we just say a word, and it's like someone, like, you, you say a word, and someone else is like, w- w- I don't think that means. I was once in a gathering. This is bad. I didn't plan on saying I was once in a gathering of, like, dudes I really, really look up to, like, some lead pastors of, like, some of the churches in our network, and I kept saying, like, oh, it all matriculated together, like, right on time. Does anyone know what the word matriculate means? What does it mean? It means to graduate. It means like you graduate or it's the process of like being admitted into a university. I meant materialized. <laughs> like it was rough. And I, they, I said it like multiple times. I was like, yeah, the, the matriculation process was very like, very, and they're just looking at me like, no. Like that's, that's like, that's not it at all. This is, this just happens to us, right? And, and it happens with words that kind of are, are, are set aside like that, but it also happens with words that we find ourselves just using a little bit too often. Um, we, we use them we use them so often sometimes that we kind of like assume that everybody knows what we're talking about or that we even know what we're talking about and we actually we actually don't. Um, and I think that if I'm just being honest with you, like I think places like this can sometimes be where words like that are actually used in that way. Um, where we kind of come into like a setting of like church or like a campus ministry and we like kind of throwing out words that end with like shun that have multiple like syllables in them sometimes. And, um, or words that are so commonly used that you kind of start to ask like, what does that actually mean? Like maybe you don't have the boldness to go up to someone and be like, hey, you keep saying that and I don't think it means what you think it means. Or you don't have the humility to say, I actually don't know if I even know what this means. And I, I think that one of those words actually is around the idea or the concept of disciple, discipleship or, or making disciples. This matters a ton to me because um, there, our leadership team, I kind of talked about this on Sunday, but like uh, clarity is a huge deal to me. I believe that a concept without clarity will do one of two things or will do both of them. A concept without clarity will either crush you because you don't know what it means or it will confuse you because you don't know what it means or it will crush and confuse you because... You don't know what it means. A concept without clarity is not an act of kindness. So it is not an act of kindness for us or for me or for one another to assume that we just know what we're, we're saying when we use the word disciple. So tonight is just a standalone message on Jesus and discipleship. We're going to talk about it a little bit, and then we're going to send you to groups to talk about it a, a little more uh, together. Uh, next week is spring break, and after that, we're going to start a new series called Gospel Change. We'll look at my, one of my favorite churches in the book of Acts, the Church of Antioch. It's just a couple of verses, but it is a rich few verses, and we're going to look to it and, and learn from them. But before that, we're going to spend a short time this evening just considering the idea of discipleship. So if you have a Bible, you can head over to Mark chapter 3. We'll be in that text. You heard Tyler read it, and, and I'll catch up to you. Um, so, so up and down the Gospels, the biographical accounts of the words, works, and ways of Jesus, you see Jesus often looking at people, especially in the beginnings of them, and saying, hey, follow me. 
right? You, you, maybe you know some of these, some of these examples. Right? Again, Mark 1, he looks at Andrew and Simon and he says, follow me. Right after that, James and John start following him as well. In Mark 2, he looks at Levi, who would be Matthew, and he says, follow me. In John chapter 1, you see him say, follow me to Philip, and then he finds Nathaniel under a tree, and he says the same thing again. It's just, just a few examples. Each of the Gospels have instances of these follow me moments. And this pattern of follow me is interesting to see over and over, and it should actually pique our attention because we see it come over and over and over again. We should ascribe some kind of value and importance to it and not look at it as we might be tempted to, today as some kind of quick like call and response follow me okay i'll follow cool jesus got it like sermon over um but, but there's something else that's going on here like like this is one of the 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 craziest things that jesus could say not just to fishermen and tax collectors but just to like common everyday people for him to look at him, them and say the words follow follow me Perhaps this is important because um, of the way that these people would have looked at Jesus and, and seen him and the title that they would have put on Jesus right away. We like to give Jesus titles, right? We call Jesus Christ. Just so you know, Christ isn't Jesus' last name. It's, it wasn't like Jesus Christ and there's Joseph Christ and Mary Christ. It wasn't that what was happening. Um, Christ was a title. Um, it was to say that he was the Christ. He was the Messiah. He was the one that they'd been waiting for. He was the one that we needed. He's the Savior of the world. That's his title. He's Lord, title, God, title, Son of God, title. He has all of these beautiful, good, right titles. He is Savior, and he is your Savior if you've put your trust in Jesus as your Lord and as your Savior and been saved by grace, by repenting of your sin and turning to Jesus. He is your Savior. None of those would have been the title that these guys were looking at Jesus through. They would have been looking at him through a different title. They would have been looking at him in a different way off the rip. Now, they would come to learn that he is Savior and that he is Christ and that he is Lord and that he is Messiah, but they would have seen him in a particular way at first. So when they first saw Jesus, what title would they have given him? Anyone want to take a crack at it? I like it. Teacher. They would have called him Teacher. So they would, they would 90 instances, roughly, of Jesus interacting with people. Two-thirds of those, Jesus is referred to as rabbi or as teacher. Rabbi basically means teacher. So Jesus was an itinerant rabbi, which was not super uncommon. Um, he was very uncommon, but this vocation was not. He would be traveling from town to town with a set of teachings, often referred to as the way of the rabbi, in this case, the way of Jesus. So that's what we mean when we say that we practice the way uh, of Jesus. And these were a set of teachings from the Hebrew Bible, what we call the Old Testament, the first two-thirds of our Bible that we have and read from today. And, and this helps us start to understand why Jesus did some of the things that he did. So when he teaches the Sermon on the Mount, he's expositing on the Old Testament and helping people learn how to know and follow after God uh, in this way that he is teaching them. Uh, when Jesus teaches the Lord's Prayer, the disciples' prayer that we studied last semester, it was a common rabbinical practice for rabbis to have a chamida, which was kind of a prayer that encapsulated the core teachings of the, that particular teacher. This is the vocational role of Jesus as he walked the earth. He was a rabbi, he was a teacher, and rabbis had disciples. Uh, I'm just so tempted to like make the joke like silly rabbi tricks are for kids, but that's so bad. Okay, if, if, if a rabbi is a teacher, th then, then what is a disciple, okay? This is where we need to get a bit technical, all right? So f follower would be, I guess, the correct term, um, 
but I think that in like our general like English translation and language and like cultural weight that we put on follower, like you can be a follower one minute and like unfollow someone like the next. And, and it's, it feels a little more like fan in our common vernacular. And Jesus wasn't calling people to be fans of him, but, but actual followers of him. So I, I don't think it's quite follower really captures what we're looking for here. Um, maybe student could be a little bit closer, but I think it's still incomplete. Like a disciple didn't just come for a lecture, but the lifestyle of their rabbi. It, it was a desire for this person to be with, to be like, and to be sent by the one that they were following after. And I'm sure that you guys have like some great professors, but I think it would be strange if you walked up to your OCHEM professor and said, I really, ma'am, I really loved your lecture, but I really want to adopt your lifestyle as well. Like, I think that they might think that was odd, right? You're like, Calc 3 would be like, hey, okay, don't come to my office hours ever, um, right? I think a better term introduced by Dallas Willard a number of years ago would actually be apprentice. That is this, this, uh, this idea of being an apprentice of Jesus. There's this old Jewish blessing that was spoken to those who would be chosen to be disciples, and it's may you be covered in the dust of your rabbi. That's lecture and lifestyle. That's being so close to the person that you are following that you are covered in the dust wherever they are walking. You want to be with that person. You want to be in a community marked by that person. Eventually, you want to be sent out by that person, put on mission by that person. So let me, we see a few examples of this, interestingly, in movies. And interestingly, surrounding Liam Nielsen. Um, so in Batman, not the new one, which is, I think, great, um, but like the, an older Batman, hot take, I know, uh, older Batman, Batman is discipled as an apprentice to Ra's al Ghul, who is Liam Nielsen. In Star Wars Episode One, in all its cinematic glory, The Phantom Menace, greatest masterpiece of a, I'm just kidding, no, okay, um, they <laughs> Obi-Wan Kenobi is discipled, you're wrong, and repent later, um, is, is discipled as an apprentice to Qui-Gon Jinn, who is also Liam Nielsen. So this is an example of discipleship, right? They become apprentices of the one that they are following so that they can become like the one that they are following, who is Liam Nielsen. Yes, exactly, okay. Um, so discipleship then is the process of us becoming an apprentice of Jesus and becoming like the one that we are following. So what does that actually look like? Like, how do, we, how do we do that? Here's the question. How do I actually know if I'm following Jesus or if that thing that I'm saying I'm doing is not what I think it is? If I'm going to use the term disciple, but I don't really grasp what it means to say I'm looking at lecture and lifestyle, his teachings and his ways. Maybe a better question is what practices do we need to adopt so that we might become like Liam Nielsen? I'm kidding. So we might become like Jesus. It's a great question. We're going to answer it from Mark chapter 3. I'm going to teach this quickly in the form of a tool that I call the discipleship triangle. Again, we are very creative here with series like Gospel Truth and Gospel Change and the discipleship triangle, which will be right here on the screen behind me. Um, you can see this broken down in Mark chapter 3, verses 13 and 14, where in the text, uh, we'll, we'll read it here in a moment. It talks about being with Jesus, Mark 3, 15 through 19, where it talks about how Jesus forms a community of disciples, and then Mark 3, 20, where it talks about Jesus. Jesus being on mission. So let me just read this text one more time and then just jump right in. And he went up on the mountain and he called to him those who he desired and they came to him. And he appointed 12 who he also named apostles so that they might be, hear it, with him. 
and he might send them out to preach and have authority to cast out demons. He then appointed the 12 and he names all of them through the text. These are the community of his disciples. In verse 20, he went home and the crowd gathered again. He moves directly to the crowd. He says, come be with me. I'm gonna make you a community and now let's go towards the crowd. There are three rhythms of discipleship, three practices of being an apprentice of Jesus that we see here in the text that followed the classic paradigm. You actually find these three almost any time when you see the story of Jesus calling his disciples and forming this community. He says, I'm calling them to be with me. I'm calling them to be in community and I'm sending them out on a mission. So I'm going to give you just a couple thoughts about each of these and then I'm going to send you guys, we're going to sing and then we'll send you into groups to really kind of flesh this out. So when it talks about being with Jesus, it's, it's incredible that Jesus marks one of the first key identifiers of people who would say that they were his disciple by being with him. It's almost as if he's trying to communicate that his first and primary desire for them is that they would be with him and that he would be with them. So let me just jump straight to the cut. We talk a lot about Bible reading and prayer at Salt Company, not because we have like some metric sheet in the back where we're like updating in each week and it's like, oh, we got another person read the Bible every day, check. It's like, that's not why. We have uh, uh, an emphasis on Bible reading and prayer because we want to emphasize the centrality in the life of someone who follows Jesus of practicing being with him, being with him as you read the scripture, being with him as you pray. This is huge because who we are most frequently with is who we are most deeply formed by. You know, following Jesus results in our formation of being more like Jesus. As we are with him, we will become more like him. And I want to emphasize this because when we think about being like Jesus, sometimes we just think, oh, that means I will not sin. And, and becoming more like Jesus certainly means that you will sin less or you will start to kill your sin, but it actually also means a little bit more than that. It's not that Jesus just didn't sin, it's that he did righteousness. In fact, you could argue that be, and, and he was so consumed with doing righteousness that he didn't have time to sin. He was also perfect, he was also God. But it's, it's this beautiful reality that as you become more like Jesus, as you spend time with Jesus, he will actually set you on a trajectory to be a compassionate person, a loving loving person, moving towards those who are around you that need the love of Jesus, helping you see needs that you uniquely can meet, that he would actually transform you so you didn't rush past people to do the thing that you needed to do, but actually you would slow down and consider others as more important than yourself. That there would be this beauty as you spent time with him that you would become more like him. So I want to ask Saul Company, are you spending time with Jesus? Spending time with Jesus can look both structured and spontaneous. It can be structured in, in that you have time set aside in the mornings where you say each day I'm going to daily worship. I'm going to daily be with him in the scripture, in prayer. I have alarms that go off through the day at different times just to remind me to pray. I have structured times built into my day so that I might know that I'm going to pause and be with Jesus. There's also spontaneous moments. There's the in-between moments. There's the driving from one place to another, the biking across campus moments, the, 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 the moments of quiet after you wake up and before you, you go to sleep, the, 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 those moments when you could just daydream or scroll mindlessly on your phone. But what if those are moments? What if those pauses are, are not space for you to just fill an area that was once known as boredom, but actually try to, to pause and just say, in this spontaneous open moment, I'm just gonna try to be with Jesus. Let me just put that before you. Are you being with Jesus? Second, are you in community? 
Look at this list of people that Jesus puts together here. It's a pretty diverse group of people. We don't have time to get into all of it, but I just want to take one example. So you've got Matthew, who is a Roman tax collector, right? Disliked by the Jewish people at large because he was a swindler on behalf of the empire and imperial state. And you've got Simon, who was a zealot, which was a group of people within the Jewish community that were trying to liberate an, a, a Jerusalem from Roman oppression. It's an absolutely, totally different sides of the spectrum. You have the zealots trying to liberate Jerusalem from Rome and the tax collector who's a part of Rome keeping Jerusalem in check. The zealot would have hated the tax collector and the tax collector would have felt threatened by the zealot. And Jesus looks at these two very different people and he says, exactly. You two, community. I'm going to call both of you to be my disciple, both of you to follow me. It's as if Jesus knew that if he was going to help these men become like him, he would need them to learn how to be like him, not in isolation, but in community. And not in a community that just thought like them or looked like them or acted like them, or felt like, but a community that was actually diverse and different. Consider the life of Jesus for a moment. There are so many moments where you see Jesus go off by himself. It's true, but there are so many more moments where you see and learn the character, the affection, the compassion, the love, the the movement of Jesus, the way of Jesus in the way that Jesus interacts with other people. In just a cursory reading of the New Testament, you see these assemblies of Christians gathering called churches. This is why we emphasize the importance of the local church because it's Bible. And college ministry, it'll be weird if you're here when you're 30. So please plug into a local church. If you don't have one, we'd love for you to call Docs at home. But but they they bring them together, these churches. And as you read the letters written to these churches, across all of these letters, there are at least 59 one another statements about how we are to interact with one another within the context of community. And it is impossible, it is impossible, it is impossible to do the one another's if you are not around one another. It's impossible to do that. Jesus gives an all-encompassing one here in John chapter 13, verses 34 through 35, where he says, a new commandment I give you, that you love one another just as I have loved you. You are also to love one another. By this, all people will know that you are my disciples, if you have love for one another. That's such a wild thing that Jesus says, this is how people are going to know that you're my disciples. By the way that they see you loving one another in your community. So how did Jesus love us? What kept him from us? Nothing. Now, this is not to say that there's like this free pass for sin against one another in the context of community. Some of the one another's are rebuke one another and correct one another. And we actually need to understand the intensity of community that we're a part of as disciples. But sinning against one another should be considered so far from tolerable because of the degree to which we are practicing loving one another in the context of community. But it's also interesting to note that in this text, Jesus says that this is how all people will know. Because there are people who, spoiler alert, are not disciples of Jesus. In fact, in Mark chapter 3, right after saying, be with me, and saying, this is your community, Jesus leads them straight into the crowds to be on mission, which is the third corner of our triangle, being on mission. Jesus moves towards the mess in the crowds around him all the time, and his disciples become more like him. As they become more like him, we move on mission as well. 
I need you to hear this because I get nervous that when we think discipleship, we think me maybe by myself with a Bible at like, I don't know, like an adorable aesthetic coffee shop or something. And, and it's like, this is my discipleship. And I think that's a part of it, being with Jesus. And maybe there's a group of people with me at that coffee shop and that's a part of it, being in community. But I need you to understand that discipleship is not just this insular thing that happens in safe Bible study times and holy huddles. A part of discipleship is going and being on mission, sharing the gospel and making disciples. Consider the last words of Jesus in Matthew 28, verses 16 through 20. He says, now the 11 disciples went to Galilee to the mountain to which Jesus had directed them. And when they saw him, they worshiped him, but some doubted. And Jesus came to them and said, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. All right. Who makes disciples? Disciples. <laughs> disciples make disciples. D disciples make disciples. Now, I want to articulate this because when we talk about evangelism, I get a little nervous that you guys think that I'm talking about being the dude on State Street that's yelling at people, except doing that in your cute coffee shops in like a lower tone, but saying the same condemning things. That's not what I'm saying when we talk about evangelism. I, I'm, I'm talking about, maybe this is a better term for it, a humble evangelism. A humble evangelism. A humble evangelism is an evangelism that says, I am going to share the gospel with you, not as someone who thinks of myself as better than you, not as someone who thinks of myself as, as having figured it out, but knowing that by grace through faith, I have been saved by Jesus Christ. Not of my own works. I can't boast, but only through the work of Jesus Christ himself, period. That means that when I'm inviting someone to follow Jesus, I'm not doing it from some position of power. I'm doing it as someone who understands that I was and am needy for the gospel bread. And so I'm a beggar who's been given bread and I'm just trying to help other people who are hungry know where the bread is. I'm sharing it as someone who confesses I needed this. I am a sinner in need of a savior and his name is Jesus. I found him, you can too. It's not sharing it to try to, it, it's sharing it to, 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 to share it in the way that says, I understand that I was broken, I was lost, and now I have been found, and you can as well. You understand that? It, it, it's not you saying, I've got it all figured out. It's you saying, I didn't, but Jesus has saved me, and he can save you too. A humble evangelism that starts with your need for Jesus and the story of the Christ who saves and invites others to be saved by him as well. So disciples share the gospel. Disciples make disciples. And their discipleship is teaching others to be with Jesus and to learn from him and become like him as they obey him. To be in community just as they observed Jesus putting them into community and to be on mission just as Jesus instructs them right here with Jesus in community and on mission. So two things to consider. One, what does your triangle look like? Like if you were to draw your own triangle, that's an equilateral triangle equally with Jesus in community and on mission. What does your triangle look like? If you were to just draw out the triangle of your life, is there some of these areas where the point wouldn't stretch all the way up? You'd be honest and you say, uh, man, when, when it comes to being on mission, when it comes to being in community, when it comes to being with Jesus, I, it's just, it's a weak point in my life. Now with every tool, I've got three rules. You encourage, you evaluate, and then you engage. So I would 
encourage you. Hey, there's probably an area of this where you're doing actually well. There's an area of strength. Let's celebrate that because that's an evidence of the work of the grace of God in your life. Let's evaluate too. There might be an area that's a touch weaker. Well, then let's engage that area with hope and with faith that in community and being with Jesus and being on mission that you actually can continue to grow as you practice the way of Jesus. That's, that's, that's the first thing. What does your triangle look like? The second thing to consider is this. Are you a disciple? <laughs> and quite simply by are you a disciple, and, and the band can come up at this point, are, 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 but quite simply by this, are you a disciple? I mean this. Have you said, I will follow Jesus? That, that, that you understand that Jesus Christ came and lived the perfect life that you could never live and that he died the death that you deserved on the cross for your sin, your sin that separated you from God. He took it on himself on the cross and gave his right standing before God to you. And he just didn't stay dead, but he rose again. He, he rose again three days later, ex- declaring victory belonged to Jesus and that he would give that victory to all those who would say, I will follow you. Do, have you become a disciple? Have you put your faith, have you put your trust in Jesus? Just for a moment of focus and concentration, I'll ask you to, to close your eyes and, and to bow your heads right here and consider those two questions. What's your triangle look like? Be honest with yourself. What are we gonna get from trying to pretend something like we're something that we're not? Nothing. Jesus doesn't transform who you pretend to be. He transforms who you actually are. So what's stopping you from actually considering what your triangle looks like tonight? From humbly admitting this is, yes, this is where grace is at work, but also this is where I, I wanna see, my, I wanna see growth in my discipleship with Jesus. Where, what's your triangle like? But before that, if you're not a Christian, I want you to understand this. So little of that applies to you until you say, I will follow. The invitation of Jesus tonight, the call of Jesus tonight is the same to you as it was to every single person that he spoke to. And it's coming from me on behalf of him. Jesus is saying, follow me. Put down your sin, put down your old ways, step away from it. It's broken and destroying you anyways. Follow me. You can respond in faith tonight. By grace, you can become a follower of Jesus, saved, not condemned, helped by God, belonging to God, adopted by God, who is for you and who looks at you and says, mine, saved. Just consider those two questions for just a couple of moments, and then we'll sing.